Well, I almost killed my husband Rob one time when we were bro broken up. Um, not figuratively, but literally, in fact. He has a very serious peanut allergy. And uh, the last time we broke up before we got engaged and married was just before he went off to Summer Project to, to, to lead at Crew in Yellowstone. And we had broken up over something that really became a non-issue eventually, but it seemed like a very big deal at the time. We didn't break up because we no longer cared for each other. Uh, we were still very much in love. Um, it, was a, it was a logistical issue involving our jobs. I should say I was very much in love. Um, Rob didn't tell me that he loved me until we got engaged. I, however, told him months before that. And you can imagine my enthusiasm when his response was, thank you. <laughs> so we broke up, not for the thank you thing, for the job thing. And... Uh, we broke up and, 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 and we still loved each other. Well, it was an unspoken love on his part anyway, but, but he, got me a little, he got me a little gift and, and, and I made him a care package for his drive up to Yellowstone, which had like power bars in it and five hour energy drinks and, and a bunch of other stuff. It was a, a Jack London audio CD of Call of the Wild. It was just very, you know, it was sweet. We parted with streams of tears. So fast forward a month, he is in Yellowstone and he is five miles into a 10 mile hike. So as far from camp as humanly possible. And he pulls, pulls out uh, one of the power bars that, that I had given him and he eats the power bar. And then he starts to feel a little funny. He, his, his, his lips start to tingle. His mouth starts to get dry. His throat starts to uh, constrict. I hadn't, I hadn't checked the label. I hadn't checked the label and it was made with, with peanut flour. I didn't even know that was a thing. So he's eating this power bar and he starts to have this allergic reaction. Uh, just listen, I was distraught, okay? Remember streams of tears. I couldn't read the label through the blurriness of my crying. So he, he eaten the power bar and, and, and he started to, to have the reaction and the guys who were hiking with him had to run back to the other hikers that they had passed to see if they had any Benadryl. He took 12 Benadryl in all and then he just waited lying there on the ground, forcing breath in and out of his throat, grown men praying over him, just waited to see if it would be enough. He lived, as you might have noticed, uh, and I'm so grateful for that. First of all, because he's my husband and I love him, but second, because there is no way that the Yellowstone Police Department would have bought that story. They'd be like, oh, you gave him a care package for your breakup. Right, that's a thing. You're going to jail, murderous. He lived, but I nearly killed him. And, and now actually, anytime he wants to like buy a piece of gear that I think is a waste of our money, he just looks at me and goes, <laughs> works every time. Have you ever wondered why God created human beings to hunger and thirst? I mean, it certainly seems like we would be less vulnerable had he created us another way. We are in our series called Rhythm, which OJ has mentioned, and this is a series where we are exploring the spiritual disciplines. These are just traditions, some of them very ancient, that help us grow in intimacy with God. And our prayer, our, our topic this morning is, is prayer and fasting. But I will tell you up front that we are gonna spend most of our time looking at fasting primarily, um, not because I want to sidestep prayer. I would certainly love to keep you for two solid hours to explore both, but OJ said no. So we're just gonna look at fasting. One, because I think it's probably more uh, the less explored of the two from the pulpit, but also because we've actually taught uh, quite a bit on prayer recently, and I feel like I would do a better job by pointing you towards those other teachings rather than to try to cram two sermons into one. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to John chapter six, beginning in verse 25 for our passage today, which says nothing about prayer or fasting, because who doesn't like a challenge? 
Verse 25. Oh, yeah, little context on this. Uh, Jesus has just begun in chapter five to begin to hint at his deity. And, and, and here in chapter six, we see a shift from, from the people and the religious leaders' uh, hesitation about Jesus' divinity to outright rejection of him as Messiah. And in chapter six, we see recorded a, a very significant miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes a young man's lunch, he blesses it, and it suddenly becomes enough food to feed 5,000 people, which is probably actually more like 20,000 because the, the number that is in the Bible would only have recorded the men who were present at that moment. So this miracle not only demonstrates Jesus' deity, but it also sets the stage for a really challenging conversation that he's about to have with the people. A, a conversation so challenging that in fact, some of his own disciples desert him as a result of it. So he's, he's done this miracle and the day after the miracle, the people come looking for Jesus again. And this is their conversation beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give, give us that, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then jumping down to verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. This is God's word. So Jesus is making an outright claim to his deity here. And the people, particularly the religious leaders, are enraged because blasphemy which is what anyone who didn't believe in Jesus's divinity would have assumed it was, was a crime so heinous to the Jews that it was punishable by death according to the law of Leviticus. Now, just one day earlier, when he had fed them all miraculously, they had actually tried to make him their king by force. And then here today, they're trying to kill him because the people wanted an earthly king. They wanted a, a military deliverer, a purveyor of God's miraculous provision. If Jesus had only wanted to be king on earth, they would, have opened, they would have welcomed him with open arms. But because he claims also to be king in heaven, the people want none of it. They don't want, they don't want anything he's offering. In fact, when, when they say, sir, give us this bread always, they are still picturing physical loaves. Maybe they're picturing the military victory over the Roman rulers who are taxing them so that they'd be able to have enough money to buy bread for themselves whenever they want it. Either way, they are not picturing spiritual salvation so much as physical deliverance. They wanted manna more than Messiah. 
So what does all of this have to do with fasting? Hunger, again, makes us vulnerable because all emptiness drives us toward being filled and we may choose to fill ourselves with things that are dangerous, sometimes things that are downright deadly to us even. So, so why did God design us to hunger and thirst? Not all living things do. Plants take chlorophyll and sunlight and through some act of sorcery make it into food. Really weird junk like Venus flytraps do some combination of photosynthesis and digestion which makes them in my opinion no more trustworthy than porcelain dolls. But <laughs> human beings hunger and human beings need bread. So why did God choose to make us this way when he could have just as easily designed us to be less needy? My, my favorite answer to this, the most satisfying answer that I've read to it comes from a book called A Hunger for God in which the author writes, why bread? Why hunger and thirst? My answer is simple. He created bread so that we would have some idea of what the son of God is like when he says, I am the bread of life. I love that. Food is a symbol. The way we feel when we deprive ourselves of it, the pain, the grumbling, the desperation for even one mouthful, the, the need, this is a reflection of the condition of our soul when it is deprived of communion with Jesus. When we fast, our body's yearning for bread reflects the yearning of our souls for the bread of life. I did a, a seven-day juice fast not too long ago, not for any particularly spiritual reason, just actually to see if it had any effect on my rheumatoid arthritis. And, and my husband, who is the hero of all of my stories, to make this process easier for me, decided to do the fast along with me, even though he had no good reason to. So we were both miserable, just miserable. Like one, if, if not eating weren't enough, we had to drink this odious concoction of juiced vegetables that tasted like death and cabbages. It was awful. And, 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 and then and we'd go to bed really early, like right after our daughter, which is super early for us. But when it's 8 p.m. and you realize that you're not actually allowed to have chips and guac, there is nothing to stay awake for, you know? I, I realized that television is just something I do to pass the time while I eat. So... So even though I had no you know, spiritual agenda for this experiment, what was so interesting to me is that Rob and I ended up having some of the most constructive spiritual conversations that we've had in a really long time. We, we, we recognized how enmeshed our idea of, of celebration was with the act of eating, uh, and we had to learn new avenues to enjoy and celebrate our friends uh, and their company, even though we couldn't have food. In the absence of the comfort that we seek most, there was an opportunity to discover other avenues of satisfaction. Emptiness always drives us towards sustenance. We will find it somewhere. And fasting is just a way to strip away all of the other somewheres that get in the way of God. The spiritual discipline of fasting is an opportunity to learn new avenues of satisfaction. Above all, the, the discipline is fa of fasting is an opportunity to feast on Jesus. Now, if you can't fast physically, like you have a condition, a medical condition, or you take a medication that prevents you from foregoing food, please don't hear me say that you're never gonna experience God. You can. It, fasting is simply the forfeiture of some good thing for a period of time. It doesn't necessarily have to be food. And, and, and it's not 
essential to salvation. Even in the Old Testament, despite how frequently fasting is practiced, it's only actually required for one occasion, the Day of Atonement. Now, that said, Jesus seems to assume that his disciples will continue to practice the discipline of fasting. Uh, one day his, his disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath to eat and some people approached them and asked, you know, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting the way that the Pharisees' disciples fast? And Jesus responds in Mark 2, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. There's no mandate for fasting, it's not essential to salvation, but if Jesus assumes that his followers will continue to practice this discipline once he ascends, it, it must certainly have some value for us who seek to be his disciples also. Paul writes to the Corinthians, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. If the idea of feasting on Jesus is like a, a, a touch too much of a leap for you to get really excited by, I want you to focus on, on one of the first and mo the most immediate and eye-opening aspects of fasting is that it reveals to us what we have been mastered by. We begin to see what we have been mastered by. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. A Hunger for God writes, the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. You see, God's stiffest competition for the affection of our hearts does not come from his enemies, but from his gifts. When Rob and I did a Whole30 for the first time, actually I did Whole30, Rob did Whole17, but that's a story for another day. When, when we did it, I actually, I found it more difficult than doing an outright water fast because apparently I find it easier to make no choices rather than to make good choices. <laughs> the day after we, we finished our Whole30, um, I flew up to Ohio, just me to, to spend a week of vacation with my extended family. And one of the highlights of Geneva on the Lake, Ohio is a place called Madsen Donuts. Um, Madsen Donuts is just wonderful and we rotate the family member each morning who has to go and get a couple dozen donuts for, you know, the 12 or so of us that are staying up there. And, and, and after you finish Whole30, I know you're supposed to like slowly reintroduce the foods, right? You're, it's like day one is legumes, whatever those are. Day two is uh, grains. Day three is dairy and your will to eat food again, you know, but, but, but let's be honest, you didn't do that. Nobody does that. After your 30 days of agony, you go out and you buy yourself a, a well-earned box of Publix chicken tenders, which in truth are sprinkled with the dust of a thousand fairies. And <laughs> Rob broke his whole 30 with a buffalo grilled chicken, grilled cheese sandwich from Toasted, which was an adventure for the whole family that night, I assure you. So, so I admit, I ate the Madsen donut and not the boring cake donut, I ate the uh, you know, extravagant cream-filled chocolate frosted long john. And then I ate the boring cake donut because no one likes those ones anyway, so really it was like a public service. <laughs> and I think, had I stopped at one, I think, I really believe my stomach would have allowed me to keep it. But, alas, I lost both of my donuts to some bushes on our walk to the beach. And you'd think that that would have taught me my lesson, but I would be lying if I didn't tell you that after the sweet relief of vomiting, my immediate thought was, gosh, I feel like I could have another. <laughs> it's ridiculous, I mean, what is that? When a good thing like food is offered to me, I would rather have none of it 
than to have to moderate how much of it I have. It's crazy. Once I taste it, I just want to keep going until I'm sick. And, and we certainly don't do this with food only. We live in a moment in history when, when every good thing has been made into a potentially addictive substance. It's not just about alcohol or drugs or, te- or food anymore. Te- television, right? I remember when I used to have to wait week to week to find out what happened on the next episode of Lost. Just tell me what's in the hatch, John Locke. <laughs> it, was a, it was awful, you know? But it wasn't excruciating because it's all that I knew. And I would argue that my satisfaction with the 47 minutes I did get to enjoy each week was probably enhanced by my anticipation. Moderation increased my enjoyment. I don't even know if I like some of the shows I watch anymore because I, you know, I consume them and I, I never have to wait long enough to find out if I actually miss them. You can, you can fast from food and I encourage you to do so, especially if you've never tried, though with some cautions that we'll get to you later, but, but, but you can also fast from the other pleasures that you enjoy in life. You can fast from coffee, you can fast from TV, social media, relationships, sleeping in, Mountain Dew, scrolling on your phone. When we abstain willingly, we expose our desires to not be necessities and not in many cases, even in our best interest. It's not because God doesn't want us to enjoy them. He wants us to enjoy things. He could have made all food bland, but he didn't. He made it delicious. And when we receive God's God's good gifts with gratitude, it's an act of worship. And we receive his good gifts when we abstain from his good gifts with gratitude. It is also an act of worship. Either of these things can be an act of worship depending on the company we keep. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The benefit of fasting is not to gain favor with our master, but to to gain insight as to whether or not anything has mastered us. I met a young man in regroup, um, and he confessed to me that he had become addicted to the euphoria we experience at the beginning of a new relationship the excitement, the, the infatuation, the lust, but, but he'd reached a point of utter hopelessness because the feeling never lasted. And he would chase it into new relationship after new relationship, always chasing this thing that disintegrated in his hands once he caught it. Those feelings, the, the butterflies, the anticipation, the excitement, those are God's gifts. Feelings are God's gifts, and these two can begin to master us when we begin to worship them instead of the one who gives them to us. And it's easy, I think, to, to, to miss the danger here. It's a lot more obvious when we're worshiping money or success or power because I, those things appear more sinister. We know that they're wrong. We know that money is the root of all evil and all that, but, but feelings? Can the love of feelings be that bad? I mean, God gave us feelings. We can't control when we have them. How can we be expected to fast from them? Well, we can't. You can't fast from feelings. You can't force yourself to feel something or not. If you could, gosh, I would hate Madison Donuts and love driving on I-4. It would be delightful. (laughs) You can't force yourself to feel something or not feel something, but you can control whether or not you indulge in it. Feelings are a little bit like cats. Men refuse to name them and hope they go away on their own. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, they, 
feelings are a little bit like cats because you, you have no control over you're going to be surprised by one that's sitting on your porch when you walk out in the morning, right? But the ones that come back are the ones that you feed. The ones that get strong are the ones that you feed and groom and fondle and we do have control over that. So if there's any good gift that you know you may be in danger of loving more than the good giver, then fast. Just try it. And, and if you're not sure if something has mastered you, then try fasting from food. And when you get cranky, which you invariably will, then ask God to take that thing that you want to turn to for relief and make that hunger secondary to your hunger for him. Fasting exposes what has mastered us and prayer asks for God's mercy to loosen those bonds. I am the bread of life. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Fasting is not essential to salvation, but it is incredibly valuable to gaining intimacy with God. So if, if you feel like you're not experiencing him, if you feel like you're in a season where you've outlived the euphoria of the beginning of that relationship, when everything seemed exciting and hopeful, if you feel like you're just going through the motions of your faith, because you don't know what else to do and you're afraid to ask out loud whether or not you really believe this stuff, if, if, if getting to worship every week feels like a burden instead of a blessing, you may be empty of real food and real drink. That may be the source of your feeling unfed. And no worship service, no lyrics, no pastoral care conversation, no sacrament, no Brene Brown book is gonna snap you out of it because no gift of God can replace the presence of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, says the Son of Man in Revelation. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This, this is what is offered. When we forego our food to feast on Jesus, he is waiting at the door to come in and dine with us. He has already given us avenues to experience his presence, but our senses, like our days, are already so full. The hunger of God writes, your soul is so stuffed with small things that there is no room for the great. He is always, always present with us. But our senses are so saturated that we can no longer perceive it. His fragrance is so subtle that it is easily overwhelmed by the aroma of a pizza. His whisper so soft that it's overwhelmed by the boom of CNN. Fasting is inseparable from prayer because in fasting, we strip away on purpose, we strip away those other sounds, those other smells, those other distractions that keep us from actually hearing God and then in prayer, we ask him to actually speak. When I first came through Regroup about 10 years ago, I was like really into mastering my own appetites. I had, um, started uh, to get a taste of what it was like to, to have control over my will. And so um, I decided to try a week-long water fast, which in retrospect, I had absolutely no business doing. First of all, because you shouldn't stop eating for a week without at least talking to a doctor first. And second, and primarily because I didn't really have any idea why I was doing it. 
I mean, I wasn't lamenting my sin and asking for God to deal with it in me. I wasn't like trying to gain insight for a big decision. I wasn't preparing for a difficult season of work or something like that. I wasn't for the most part even praying during my fast. I was simply fasting, probably because I just wanted to prove to myself that I could. Once I'd gotten my sobriety and regroup, I, I, I just began to get so excited about the, the fact that I could actually manage to make better decisions that the act of making those good decisions itself became, became a kind of reward that I sought after. I think the clinical uh, term for this is pride. So I decided to complete a week-long water fast for absolutely no reason other than the self-satisfaction of feeling more disciplined than other people that I knew. And I observed Jesus' rules for the fast. I did all the things. I didn't tell anyone about it except you guys and the service before you. Um, I, I, I washed my face and combed my hair. I anointed my head with oil, so to speak. No one would have ever known that I was fasting until day three, when I discovered that a portion of the water that we take in every day is actually collected through the food we eat. And I had not made up for the difference by drinking any extra. So I woke up day three so dehydrated that I was physically ill. I couldn't hold anything down, not a slice of banana, not a teaspoon of water. So I called Rob, who I'd been dating for less than a year at that point, and I told him that I was going to die. And he said, okay, I'll be there in five or 10 minutes, which is hilarious because he lived 25 minutes away in Avalon. So he picked me up and I had this, uh, you know, we're, we arrive at the emergency room and I have this bucket that I'm clinging to like a cat to a pool raft. And, and he tries to gently take the bucket away from me so I look less ridiculous walking into the hospital. And I'm like, don't touch my bucket. And he's like, oh, okay, don't touch your bucket. So we get to the hospital and, and, <laughs> And they put me in a wheelchair with my bucket. Uh, this is not even the embarrassing part of the story. And they <laughs> wheel me in to uh, a room where a doctor begins to ask me some questions. So what's happening today, Kaylee? Well, um, I've been fasting for the last three days. Mm-hmm. And why have you been fasting? And now what I should have said, what I should have said was, well, doctor, you see, I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And to better experience uh, the satisfaction of his presence, I've chosen to glorify his name by foregoing food for several days. But that is not what I said. <laughs> What I managed to mumble into my bucket was, was for religious purposes. <laughs> I told you before, I am the reason that people think Christians are weird. It's me, it's my fault. They had put two bags of IV fluids in me before I even regained the ability to produce tears. But before they would start my IV, the doctor says to me, hey, listen, we're just gonna give you a pregnancy test just in case. And I was like, no, listen, I'm definitely not pregnant, I, I promise you. And he's like, listen, we have a lot of women come in here and they swear up and down that they are not pregnant. They say there's no way they could be pregnant and then they're pregnant. And I'm so sick and so out of sorts that I just snap at this guy and I'm like, well, do you have a lot of women come in here saying that they're not having sex, doctor? Doctor? <laughs> and he goes, oh, we're going to give you the test just in case. <laughs> I mean, I was really awful. It was really awful to him. Fasting is about discovering what has mastered us and what had mastered me was impatience and self-righteousness. I was so mean. That's what fasting unmasked in me. When I stopped eating, it revealed that I was perhaps not mastered by food, but I was mastered by anger and by pride. Because when we encounter the normal obstacles, the normal stresses of our lives, if we don't eat or self-medicate through some other avenue, then those feelings and frustrations linger and the only option is to deal with them another way 
or to ask for them to be dealt with in you. So fasting isn't about proving to God that you're disciplined, it's about making space to better hear from and experience him. It's better to fast only one meal and spend that time in prayer than it is to fast for five days and pray for none of it. Because at the end of that time, you will have only learned that you can, by sheer force of will, master your own appetites, thus solidifying the the lie, the illusion that we don't actually need any assistance from God. Pride and gluttony are both sins. But I fear that pride may be the more damaging of the two. We leave so little margin in our lives, in our sensory experiences to actually hear the still, small voice of God. And this leaves our souls very empty. But listen, don't push that away. Don't try to relieve it or smother it with entertainment. Lean into it. Because this emptiness that we feel, that we often mask with television or relationships or food, this emptiness is an invitation from God. This emptiness can be God's gift because it exposes our need. It it reminds us that we need to seek the bread of life. This emptiness reminds us that there is nothing in this world that can actually satisfy us. This emptiness is a blessing because it forces us to look elsewhere than the places we always go to stuff ourselves sick with comfort and pleasure. We could go our whole life so full of small things that we never really recognize our need for the great one. Our our flesh can be so filled, so saturated that it masks a soul that is starving to death. And if we do this, we risk allowing God's gifts to keep us out of God's kingdom. C.S. Lewis writes, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Despite all of our hungers, all of our need, all of the ways that we want and need to be filled, the thing that we need to be filled by most is the presence and love of Jesus Christ. More than we need to get better, more than we need her to pull through, more than we need him to come back, more than we need that job, more than we need food and clothing. And I know that's easy for me to say because I'm not hungry or naked or sick, but I am damned without the salvation offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I might get the job or the guy, or she may get better. You may get all the goodness that you could possibly know what to do with. And on that day, what will that job or that guy do for you if you meet your maker? Death will come as a surprise to some, maybe to me. And what could all the comfort on this world, on this earth do for me if I leave this earth behind? If food is a symbol for the sustenance our soul requires from God, then fasting and prayer is a way of foregoing the symbol for the real thing. And he is waiting to come in and dine with us. A couple of practical notes if you're going to try a fast and you've not done one before. First of all, if you're going to go for more than two days without food, do talk to someone about that, preferably a medical someone. And then drink more water than you think you could possibly need. Second, 
If you plan to fast, uh, actually no, if you plan to fast from some other good thing, uh, I, I encourage you to pay close attention to the feelings and the frustrations that your fast brings out in you, that the things you want to turn to for relief and comfort. This is, this is pure gold in your relationship and growth toward Jesus. We get asked all the time to provide books and, and curriculum for people to, to study in groups to kind of feed their relationship with God. Listen, curriculum is never going to feed your relationship with God. It may feed your interest intellectually in God. It may enhance your understanding of God, but it will not make you closer to him. Only spending time with him will do that. So if you're feeling disconnected from him, maybe the last thing you need is to stuff yourself with more information. Maybe the thing you need is to empty yourself of all the other things that are competing with him for the affection of your heart. So pay attention to the things that it brings out in you. That is Jesus speaking to you directly. It's an invitation to repent, to receive grace, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Second, understand why you are doing your fast. There are myriad reasons to fast. Maybe a big, big decision coming up. Maybe you're preparing for a difficult season at work or in ministry. Maybe you need his help. Maybe you are lamenting over a sin you know you have in your life and you want God to deal with it in you, that is great. You should fast for all those reasons, but keep in mind that prayer and fasting are not formulas. We can't do them so perfectly that God is just forced to give us what we want. The, the, the Qumran Essenes tried to do this. They tried to force God's hand into the second coming by living so perfectly and so piously that he just had to give them what they prayed for. That's, that's not how it works. It can't work that way. That would make God subject to human beings, at least really, really holy ones. And if that were true, then he would cease to be God. We can't use fasting as a hunger strike. So when we engage prayer and fasting, we first must examine our expectations to make sure that they are in line with the actual truth and promises of scripture. God doesn't promise to change, us, to change our circumstances when we pray. Prayer does not always change our circumstances for the better, but the promise of scripture is that prayer always changes us for the better. So our faith is, it should never be in our prayer or our fast. Our faith is not that, that, that he will give us what we want, but that what he wants to give us is good. Paul writes in Philippians, I consider all things loss that I may gain Christ. Every fast which is a kind of voluntary loss, should be for the purpose of gaining Christ, not just his gifts. So you may choose to fast for a particular reason, a decision, a circumstance that is completely appropriate, but if you are surprised by your experience, if it doesn't go the way you think it's gonna go or accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish, I encourage you to receive that not as a disappointment, but as an invitation. Because in the absence of God's gift, you may begin to hear God's knock. And if you open the door to him, he will come in and dine with you and you with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for being the God who satisfies every hunger, especially the one that we have in our souls, the one that is deepest, the one that when we fill it, we, we gain life instead of lose it. Lord, thank you for the way that you satisfy us, not only through your presence, but through your gifts, through the good gifts that you've given us to receive on this earth, the, the, the things that you have made enjoyable, the food, 
all of it, Lord, you, you are so gracious to us in the sustenance that you offer. But, but this morning, Lord, we confess that we often allow the good gifts that you give us to substitute as your presence. That we forego time with you in order to spend time with your stuff. And Lord, though we can experience you in some ways through gratitude when we receive your gifts, thankfully, we can never truly experience you if we allow your gifts to be all of you that we experience. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning to lay down our pursuits of your things and pursue you instead. If any of us in here feel like we are not experiencing you, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would invite us to attempt a fast of some kind or another to better make space to hear your voice, to better make space to begin to experience you again anew. Lord, we are grateful, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen.